Hello and welcome to I Thought I'd Be Rich By Now, the podcast for millennials to obsess over our new fave shows, movies, podcasts, books, and pop culture. If you enjoy what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star rating, a review, or just send a link of the pod to any other pop culture person in your life. In our last episode, I mentioned that I was only halfway through the menu, starring Ray Fiennes, Nicholas Holt, and Anya Taylor-Joy in my quest to get caught up on all of the Oscar films before the Academy Awards on Sunday, March 12th. Mark your calendars. I described everything everywhere all at once as a wild and crazy movie. Oh, how I wish I could re-record that episode because it was when I was watching The Menu, the rest of the movie, that I was like, oh, this movie is the actually the insane one. The Menu is a horror movie. I didn't know that. All I knew about the movie was the poster that looked like it might be an interesting, maybe gritty story about working in a restaurant for a boss. Maybe the boss is sort of like Gordon Ramsay. I was wrong. It is a legitimate horror movie. Even the first half of the movie was not what I was expecting, but it was really interesting and I was obsessed with looking at all the weird looking like super fine dining courses. By the way, that's on my like bucket list is to go to a super, super high-end fine dining restaurant. I don't mean like a fine dining restaurant in my suburban area, nor do I want to go to some TikTok-ish or Instagrammable type of fine dining. I want that like old school Parisian or New York City, like insanely expensive five-course meal that looks like food from the menu where there will be foam on the plate or drops of liquid that you don't understand I love looking at that stuff in movies and like in photos so I just want to experience it once as I said the menu stars Ray Fiennes who is of course so good at being terrifying most younger people would know him as Voldemort from the Harry Potter movies of course but millions of us first knew him from the English patient or even more from Schindler's List playing the role of real-life SS soldier, Amon Gut. For some reason, I was allowed to watch the incredibly brutal Holocaust drama Schindler's List as a little kid, and Ray Fiennes freaked me out from that day on. He played the sadistic soldier Gut so well, too well, so in every role that I see him in, he could be smiling for like the most wholesome reason possible, and I will still feel uncomfortable. This is all to say that Ray Fiennes and Nicholas and Anya were also good at their respective roles. Nicholas was so good as the pathetic loser wannabe Tyler, who's constantly looking for validation and meaning. Tyler's obsessed with cooking as an art form and with showing that he knows everything and thinks that will be worth something, anything, to Chef Slowick. Anya plays Margot, who is Tyler's mysterious and feisty date. Ray Fiennes is Chef Slowick, the obsessed, tyrannical, self-indulgent, and fundamentalist chef with an inflated sense of self and a ghoulish, demented mind. And yet... And yet, I am the one who's a clown because the movie was not nominated for any Oscars. I'm so glad that I still watched it, but I was thinking I'm taking this off my list only for it not to be on it at all. I cannot believe this movie was not nominated for an Oscar. 
it's this weird messed up movie with some of like the hottest actors at the moment and it's really cool interesting roles from some other popular actors who I didn't name also side note Hong Chao plays Elsa in this movie and Elsa is somewhere between the right hand of chef Slowick to a cult follower to a maitre d' at the restaurant she is a true believer in following his worldview of how food should be made, presented, and even ingested. Hong Chao is a scene stealer in the menu. Every time she's on screen, like, I would get a little bit more scared. She brought this purposely frozen character to life. She's, like, dead behind the eyes. I loved her character. Don't cry for Hong because the movie wasn't nominated. She was nominated for an Oscar for The Whale with Brendan Fraser, so she's like having a big year anyways. Another movie that was shut out of Oscar contention was The Northman, starring Alexander Skarsgård, Anya Taylor-Joy again, Nicole Kidman, and Ethan Hawke. This movie was so amazing to me. I watched it way earlier in 2022. I spoke to people, like other people that saw it and were like, yeah, it's okay. Like I wanted to scream. I was like, the end fight scene of this movie was like so glorious and beautiful. It's a Viking revenge movie, but really, really good with amazing visuals and incredible actors. Not to sound so up my own butt about this, but it was a legit a work of art. You people have no taste. Here is your pop culture news update. Trace Lissette is an actress most well-known for her role in the TV show Transparent. Trace now stars in and is the executive producer of the indie film Monica that premiered at the Venice Film Festival in 2022. And according to Trace, the film has secured funding to be released this year. In a video that she made on Instagram recently, Lisette asked her followers to contribute funding um, for a publicist for, for her and the team behind Monica to hire a publicist for about six months, which would cost roughly about five to $6,000 per month. Trace said that she herself is trying to cover the cost for about two of the months um, if she needs to, but of course that's a lot of money and so she was just looking for help um, with the rest of the cost. As it stands, as of recording, her GoFundMe account for hiring this publicist for Monica has raised 28000 of the 30000 they need, so they're almost there. She goes into a little bit of detail in the video that she put up on Instagram describing why they need a publicist and it's because, of course, you need a professional to help market and promote a movie if you want it to do well and like most people know it's like very important for those first few weeks and months when you're releasing a movie to try to help promote it because you really do overall have a small window to make a movie a hit or not. I thought that this was really interesting because I love seeing the inner workings and like the behind the scenes of how the industry really works and how the sausage is made essentially. 
I think I understand it more than the average person because I love this stuff. However, it is really interesting to see how real actors and producers have to work hard to secure funding. I think we see like the super duper glamorous part on TV and on their socials and don't realize that just because you got a movie made doesn't mean you have all the resources and funding to get it promoted. I mean, the amount of amazing films and shows that just never get seen because they didn't have the means to promote it or the marketing team did a poor job um, at it is huge. I cannot imagine anything more heartbreaking as an artist. It can take literal years to get a movie made, sometimes decades. You get it out and it's actually really good and then you can't get anyone to see it because you don't have the funding. Obviously, that would really, really suck. I really loved the video Trace made because, no pun intended, she was very transparent about the cost, the need, having to ask for help, and I found it very endearing because you see people who are just extremely flauntingly well off in this industry and then you see people like Trace who has fought and fought to be recognized to make it in Hollywood and although Transparent was very talked about and a very praised show I'm sure that type of small show isn't going to make an actor rich or guarantee financial security in the future so it's nice to see her friends and fans step up and help support her and her team getting the word out and supporting an indie film that did get a huge standing ovation at Venice Film Festival. So hopefully this movie, Monica, will premiere in Canada or end up on a streaming service at some point. Daisy Jones and the Six miniseries just premiered on Amazon Prime with the first three episodes. This is the show that I was most excited to see for 2023 so far. Daisy Jones is based on the 2019 novel by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Taylor Jenkins Reid... TJR, is a hitmaker. Everything she touches turns to gold. Her novels are always on the front shelves of Indigo or your favorite bookstore. Daisy Jones and the Six still has prominent real estate on the bestseller shelves. So is Carrie Soto's Back, Malibu Rising, and one of my all-time, all-time favorites, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I loved, loved that book. I think I talked about this before, but I borrowed the Daisy Jones novel from my friend for at least over a year, and I just read it at the end of 2022. So think about that before you ever let me borrow a book. You are committing yourself to being apart from your book for at least six months. I'm telling you up front right now. Daisy Jones and the Six follows the fictional story of a 1970s band who moves from Pittsburgh with a dream of making it huge in the LA music scene. The band struggles to make their mark, but they are determined. They meet Daisy Jones, who is a singer-songwriter, and ends up being the missing piece. Daisy and the Six make music magic together. Their stories about dreamers, addiction, music, friendship, marriage, falling in love, family, and of course, heartbreak. It's been said that TJR was inspired to write this book by watching Fleetwood Mac perform, which makes sense if you know a little bit about the band's history. In the book, at least, there's a lot of booze, drugs, and sex. I'm not going to mince words, okay? I do fall in love with so many shows and performances, and I always want to talk about them, so I literally made a podcast about that. I fell in love watching the first three episodes. 
I'm in love with so many people in the show. I have followed Riley Keough's career for a while. Yes, Riley Keough's lineage always was what initially piqued our curiosity about her. Elvis Presley and Priscilla Presley are her grandparents. Her mother is the late Lisa Marie Presley. But Riley Keough stands on her own two feet. Music is obviously a huge part of the show, but I had no idea that she could sing. And obviously I knew she was going to sing in the show, but I was still a little surprised. The songs do sound so good. They sound like from that era, that 1970s rock, um, rock Fleetwood Mac-ish inspired type songs. So they do sound really good. The LA Times reported that the Daisy Jones and the Six album, which was released in conjunction with the show, is the first faux band album to top the charts. Anyways, I loved watching her on screen. She was a scene stealer in the film Zola, which I talked about in episode 9, and she is Daisy Jones. Sam Claflin plays Billy Dunn. Will Harrison is Graham Dunn. Camilla Marone is Camilla Dunn. Yes, she has the same name as her character. Suki Waterhouse as Karen Serko. Nabia B as Simone Jackson. And Timothy Oliphant as Rod Reyes. There are so many characters that I've left unnamed because the cast is just so large. I am so humiliated with myself because I pride myself on recognizing actors' faces in shows and movies that I watch. And I watched all three episodes thinking that Timothy Oliphant was Johnny Knoxville for some reason. I don't know what's wrong with me. Maybe I'm starting to slip. But anyways. Yes, there will be a couple of spoilers in here at most about the first three episodes, but nothing else really, like nothing too huge at least. Anytime there is a book to movie or TV adaptation, the first few minutes or first episode is getting the audience who has read the book comfortable. You are saying, these people don't look exactly how you imagined. We cannot replicate what was in your head, but please trust us. We think you're going to love this. This is what I had to do. When I first saw who Billy and Graham Dunn were being played by, I was like, hmm, I'm not so sure. Let's see where this is going. But I was trusting the process. I was already getting more excited by the end of episode one. But by episode three, I was like, this is it. I'm all in. I am beyond excited to watch the rest of the show. Billy and Daisy's duet at the end of episode three was everything. It was like a perfect place to leave the audience wanting more. Their chemistry is there, totally, and it had to be for these two. It's an ensemble cast, but the story is about Billy and Daisy. The casting of Camilla, I thought, was dead on from the beginning. Camilla Marone was made for this role. She's young and gorgeous, which Camilla is in the book. The scene of her catching Billy in a very compromising position and screaming at him was a very powerful scene. She is pregnant at the time. She moved her whole life from Pittsburgh to California. And she's like, you are going to show up for me and this baby. You're not going to ruin my life. I really loved in particular how Taylor Jenkins Reid wrote Camilla in this novel. From my perspective, characters in other books and shows that go through similar experiences as what Camilla has gone through 
and what she will go through are often one-dimensional. They are naive or weak, gullible, or willfully ignorant. Instead, I just love that although you may disagree with her decisions, Camilla was very much in charge and in a position of power in her relationship. The way she lived with and loved Billy Dunn, her eyes were wide open for all of it. She was no one's fool and that made me love Camilla, which makes this story messier and better because there is no clear line in the sand. There's no one to hate, if that makes sense. So I loved Camilla's character in the book and I appreciate how Camilla Marone is bringing her character to life on screen. I wish they had spent a little more time showing how much Billy loves Camilla and how she is her like how she is his everything and how much her love and support meant to him. Maybe that will continue like they'll continue to show that um, further in the show. But that was just like one of my minor criticisms. I wish they had built up Billy and Camilla's love story a little bit more. Sam Claflin as Billy Dunn is very good. I know his name and face, but I haven't watched much with him. I would have never, ever thought of him for this role, and I'm so glad that he was cast in it. In the book, Billy Dunn is like so hot, has that sexy rock star energy. And by episode three, where Billy and Daisy meet and they clash because they're artists with strong opinions, but they put that aside to do their duet. I was like, okay, this is him fully embodying the Billy Dunn from the book. I'm always drawn to female friendships in any story. I love Daisy and her relationship with her best friend, Simone, played by Nabia B. Nabia is a star in the making. She can act, she can sing beautifully, and she's gorgeous. I'm already excited to see which actors' careers really get a boost from this show. I hope it's huge. It has the backing of Amazon Studios, obviously, and was also produced by Reese Witherspoon's production company, Hello Sunshine. Hello Sunshine has backed a bunch of book-to-TV mega-hits. Big Little Lies, Truth Be Told, The Morning Show, Little Fires Everywhere, etc. The bestseller Therese Witherspoon TV hit pipeline is real, so Daisy Jones is in good company. Watch Daisy Jones and the Six now on Amazon Prime, new episodes out every Friday. I hope that you fall in love with it, whether you read the book or not. Please let me know what you think, and if you don't like it, please really let me know because I want to respectfully fight you. If I read the plot for Apple Plus's shrinking TV show before watching it, I would have hated it. On paper, it sounds like something fit for an early 2010s show. Upper middle class white guy in crisis after a loss. He helps a violent and misunderstood young black man and is kind of his savior, you might say. He has a crusty old boss, who he actually looks to as a father figure, and a cool, nerdy black female co-worker, and a gay best friend. He's so liberal and accepting, look at his diverse friend group. His problems are real, what with the dead wife and all, and his beautiful teenage mixed-race Asian daughter hates his guts. He's failing as a father. <laughs> Okay, I'm not trying to be annoying with bringing up all of their races into this, but oh my god, the white savior can be so cringe, especially nowadays, like when you see that in shows. 
No, I'm not saying that you can't write a script where a well-meaning white person helps a black person, obviously. It's just that that whole cliche that we know Hollywood absolutely loves has been done to death. We saw so many TV shows and movies like this between the 90s and the 2010s. But with all that said, the show works. It could have been so bad and it's so not. I'm super into it and I've even been waiting to watch the show weekly, which is very unlike me unless it's HBO. Jason Siegel is the star and is one of the producers of the new Apple Plus dramedy. I don't know if people say, still say dramedy. But he plays the widowed father, Jimmy, who is struggling a year after his wife's sudden death in a car crash. He's failed in the dad department so badly that his neighbor Liz has taken over the role of parent to his teenage daughter, Alice. Jimmy is coming out of the fog of hitting rock bottom and is trying to reestablish his relationship with his daughter, but his daughter is not going to make it easy on the dad that pretty much abandoned her as he sunk into his own world of depression, leaving her, a teenager, to deal with the death of her mom on her own. Jimmy's a therapist, so at the same time that his life is a total mess, he has to counsel and help fix his patients' screwed up lives. As he realizes that he needs to fix his own family, he also realizes that he's going round and round in circles with his patients and he wants to do something radical to change up his approach to better help them. And it also has a side benefit of shaking up his stagnant environment, bringing some sort of happiness and excitement into his days. He does this by basically breaking every single ethical boundary. He tells patients what to do instead of helping them figure it out themselves. He shares his own detailed trauma. He takes them out of the office and into real world situations to face their issues. And he even invites them into his home, blending his personal and professional lives, which is, of course, a huge no-no. Shrinking is an endearing story of loss in a family, but not just your blood family, your chosen ones, your community, the people that surprise you with how much they love you, even through the worst versions of yourself. If that sounds cheesy AF, it is, but it's so entertaining. I've watched versions of this type of show where the creators wanted to make Shrinking, but ended up making a soulless show that couldn't get past cliches and tropes and wound up with a sad product. After watching a few things recently where the actors had no, and I mean no, chemistry, it is a thing of beauty to watch an ensemble cast with Harrison Ford in it where you actually believe them. I believe Harrison Ford as the leader of the clinic that Jimmy works at, who's extremely private and is exasperated by his co-workers, but secretly he really cares for them. I believe Jessica Williams as the nerdy and smart co-worker who loves her job, helping people, but needs to lean on her friends while she's going through her own personal loss. The person I was least worried about believing was Jason Segel because... No one has played a pathetic, sad mess of a man due to a relationship better than he did in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Now he plays a mess, but slightly more serious as a widowed father, but still, he pulls from the same talent that skyrocketed his career. Luke Tenney did so much more with his character Sean than I think a lesser actor could. Luke plays a patient at the clinic. I was so afraid of them writing him as some weird stereotype, but they didn't. 
he has problems and is messed up in ways for sure but he seems like a real person not some like weird caricature of an angry young black man that was pulled from a headline jimmy who is luke's therapist really does try to help him but it's not just one-sided especially as jimmy the therapist keeps opening up to luke the patient about his own problems they build a friendship a give and take but that undoubtedly will certainly lead to more problems in the future michael Uri of ugly betty fame plays jimmy's estranged best friend who is still wondering why jimmy ghosted him after his wife died Lakita Maxwell and Krista Miller round out the ensemble cast. Lakita plays Jimmy's teenage daughter and Krista plays Jimmy's neighbor Liz, who swooped in to take care of his daughter when she was in crisis and needed a parent. Side note, I am so annoyed with how Jimmy and some of the other cast treat Krista's character Liz sometimes. They talk to her like she's just like this nosy neighbor with no life. And I'm like, she stepped in and played mother to your motherless daughter after her mom died and you disappeared into your grief spiral. The character of Liz is far more kind and forgiving than I would be because I would totally lose my mind if someone spoke to me like that after such a selfless act. But anyways, I digress. Shrinking has made me laugh out loud and is so endearing. It's good to watch Jason Siegel again on screen. It's so good to watch Jessica Williams because I haven't seen her since the movie The Incredible Jessica James and she has such good chemistry with everyone in her scenes. But it is awesome to see Harrison Ford in a role like this. I'm really happy for him and to see him in a role that is so normal. He's not fighting space Nazis or looking for treasure buried in the jungle, nor is he covertly saving the world from disaster as Jack Ryan. He is a man dealing with coming to terms with getting older and feeling the longing of missing his family. I love Harrison Ford, but not for all the reasons you guys love him, okay? I didn't even watch Star Wars until I was in my 20s. When I think of Harrison Ford, I do not think of Han Solo, okay? I barely even think of Indiana Jones. I think of Dr. Richard Kimball, okay? I think of Jack Ryan. I think of the President of the United States saving his family on Air Force One. I even think of Linus Larrabee in Sabrina. And no, not the teenage witch, okay? I'm a bigger fan of Harrison Ford than so many of you normies out there. Give Harrison Ford some credit. He is more than Han Solo. And do you want to know how little I associate him with Star Wars? My original script said I don't think of Luke Skywalker. I legit forgot for a few minutes that he was never Luke Skywalker. Rant over. You can watch Shrinking on Apple+. Plus. I really haven't listened to too many new podcasts recently, but here is one that I love. I feel embarrassed recommending this one because I feel like obviously everyone already listens to it because it's been around forever. But Who Weekly, Bobby Finger and Lindsay Weber, they are both culture and pop culture writers and co-hosts of Who Weekly. The point of their podcast is that they cover B and C list celebrities, so think lesser known actors, TikTok stars, reality show people, etc. People that pop culture heads like us may know, but normies in your family would not. They don't want to talk about A listers, that's not their thing. They're so hilarious and make me laugh out loud almost every time I listen. 
when I go a long time without listening to them and then I come back, I'm like, why did I stop? They're amazing. And then I have to go and back and binge a bunch of older episodes to get caught up in all of the inside jokes. They poke fun at these celebrities, but they're not cruel. They laugh at some of the truly insane, what they call spawn cons, so sponsored content on social media, which we are all familiar with at this point. And those segments always kill me. Just seeing which celebrity has partnered with whatever random brand. There are some insane partnerships which Bobby and Lindsay would prob say iconic. The one I really love is Haley Duff being sponsored by Canned Food. Not a canned food brand, but literally like an organization or lobbying group whose goal it is to get people to just use canned food. Please don't get it twisted. I would shill for almost anything at this point in my career. I have no scruples. I'm absolutely no one to laugh. You've made it in my eyes if any organization wants to pay you to show their products. Please, I'd advertise hamster food for 100 bucks at this point. So if you need a laugh and or would like to know who some of these random new Gen Z like B, C, D list celebrities are, but you don't want to do any research at all, Who Weekly is there for you. Thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying this little podcast, as always, please rate and review. You can contact me directly at I thought I'd be rich by now at gmail.com. And you can visit us on Instagram at I thought I'd be rich by now. Thank you. Goodbye.